scripture passage for this morning is Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe to the best one and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go home. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. If you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the batted calf for him. Then the father said to him, 
Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Uh, please join me in prayer. Lord, your word is a seed, our hearts the soil, till up the ground, prepare it. May it germinate in us and grow and bear fruit, fruit for our neighbors, fruit for our families, fruit for ourselves, and fruit for the whole world, all in praise to you. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Uh, Henry Nowen wrote a book about this parable, Parable of the Prodigal Son. Famously, he went to go see the painting of it by Rembrandt in a museum, and he kind of got stuck there and like had to keep going back and see it like every day for two weeks or something. Um, something like that has happened to me. I've gotten stuck uh, in this parable. I thought, we'll do, we'll do a Sunday on Prodigal Son. Next. And, uh, and, then, and then I couldn't. So I had to, the sermon kept getting longer and longer. And I thought, well, we have a finite time period together. Um, that's not going to work. But I could not bear to cut out some things. And so we're doing at least two weeks. Um, hopefully not two years. But at least two weeks on Prodigal Son. Um, before, before we talk about it, we need to talk about what parables are, or remind ourselves what parables are. Um, they're sort of between allegories and short stories. So, you know, an allegory, tortoise and the hare, that's like a fable, but same idea, like, you kind of get the meaning, and you can sort of pull out the meaning and be like, okay, this story really only means this. Uh, slow and steady wins the race. Okay. A short story, if you can pull out the meaning of a short story, it's not a very good short story. So parables are sort of in between. You, you often can pull out a meaning from a parable, and Jesus will do that sometimes too. He'll sort of like find a meaning in the parable, and he'll say, oh, it means this. But what, then, what ends up happening is if you stick with the parable for a little while, it also will mean this. And then it'll also mean this. And it'll mean this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And so it's sort of this uh, generative um, uh, multiple meaning. And, um, and so a, a lot of people are, are often confused about Jesus. You know, he doesn't have that much time. He's like got the most important stuff to say that's ever been said in the history of the world. Why did he say it in parables? Why couldn't he have been crystal clear? Well, this is why. Parables allow him to say very much in a few words. And the parable of the prodigal son is the gospel in miniature. It is the good news in a handful of verses. Um, and that's why we can say a lot about a little. Um, but I wanna, I wanna begin by talking about the context uh, because we can't, we can't make it mean anything we want. In fact, one of our problems with prodigal son is that we've made it mean some things that it doesn't mean. Um, so we need, we need the context, and we need those other two parables right before that Adam read. Uh, and so what's the context? Context is pretty straightforward. Um, you have 
Pharisees and scribes, and you have Jesus, and Jesus is having meals with sinners. These are like unclean sort of people, according to the law, and tax collectors who are just straight up traitors. And Jesus is having meals with them. And, and we need to be careful because we often think of Pharisees and scribes as just grumps. Uh, just, they, don't, they don't like fun or they don't like uh, people. They, remember, their Bible is the same as ours, the Old Testament. It's the same Old Testament. And they believe in a God who is infinitely gracious. They believe in a God who, who forgives to a thousand generations, a God whose mercy endures forever. They would love for sinners to repent. That sounds amazing. What they don't like about Jesus is that he is feasting with them as though it's already happened. They, they, they would love it if Jesus was like having a Bible study with them, if he was doing some counseling, if Jesus was doing case management and writing grants, if he was in the soup kitchen, you know, giving them some soup and saying, I'm helping you, you know, something like that. The Pharisees and scribes would have absolutely loved that. They'd say, this guy's great. Maybe he can help them. And we would love to see all the sinners and scribes repent. We'd love to see them come into the faith. But Jesus seems to have skipped that part. Jesus seems to have jumped right towards the meal, right towards the celebration, right towards the feast. And this makes them furious. And so Jesus says, I have three stories to tell you. I'm going to explain myself, but I'm going to do it in these three stories. Okay. Um, first, first two stories are pretty similar. Uh, they're, obviously, one's a shepherd, uh, loses a sheep, uh, irresponsibly leaves 99 to go get the one. The second one, a woman loses a very valuable coin, uh, turns her house upside down to try to find it. And at the end of both of those, Jesus says there's going to be great celebration for when one sinner repents in heaven. So they are about repentance. He's, he's talking about repentance. But here's the weird thing about this. Is, um, uh, like, how much repenting do you think the coin was doing? You know what I mean? Like, when it's in between the cushions? Was it like, oh, Lord, please forgive me for my... You know, I, like, it's a coin. Um... Now, the sheep, you could sort of imagine some form of uh, ovine repentance, you know, uh, you know, where the sheep is, is, is thinking about, and I, I'm sorry, I, there's no way not to tell this joke. The, the, the sheep is, is thinking about um, all the things and, and how bad the sheep is. Uh, again, there's just no, it's like right there. It's just low-hanging fruit I had to do it. Um, so, so you, but it is comical, right? That, that's the point of the parable. It's comical to imagine the repentance of the sheep or the repentance of the coin because the stories aren't about that. The stories are about the shepherd and about the woman going crazy to try to find these things. Okay. So by this point, after the first two stories, we're supposed to be talking about repentance and we're thoroughly confused, okay? And that's exactly where Jesus wants us, to be thoroughly confused by the time we get to the prodigal son. And, and by the prodigal son, we think, oh, thank goodness. Now we're talking about humans. We're, we should, at this point, have a straightforward picture of what repentance is. Um, 
you know, th this is this is going to make sense. And if we think that we're wrong, we're absolutely wrong because we are um, already, as Westerners, we're already in the trap. We're already in the trap. For instance, we call this parable the parable of the prodigal son. That is wrong. That is wrong. First of all, we're counting wrong. There's two lost sons, not one. And why do we pick out prodigal? Why do we pick out that word as his problem? Um, for instance, uh, uh, someone, someone decided to read this story with mothers in Africa. And when mothers in Africa read the story of the younger and the older son, and they read what happens to the younger son, they say his main problem is that he's all alone. He, he is not helped by anybody. Now, now, I'm talking about what the text says. The, the, the parable says he's not helped by anybody, and there's a famine. We don't, we don't call him the victim of the famine son, or the, the lonely son. And the word prodigal, by the way, the word prodigal just means spendy. It means spendy, but we, we interpret it as like wild living. Right? Like, we, we think, like, he is having a blast. And it literally, and I, I, did, I did the work on this. I, I looked at Aristotle. I looked at Plato. I looked at other guys whose names I can't pronounce. I looked at all their uses of this word because it only is used once in the entire Bible, the word prodigal. So I'm like, well, we've got to figure out what this means. So I go and look at all the other places it's used in Greek. And sure enough, you know what it means? It means spendy. It means he spent a lot of money. And if you had a wad of dough in a foreign country, you're going to spend a lot of money too. So why do we inflate this? Here's why we inflate this. Again, it's a trap. I'm sorry, guys, but it's a trap. We, the reason we inflate it is because we're just like the older son. When the, when, when the father comes to the older son, um, and the older son is out in the field, uh, uh, the older son says, um, I'm so mad about what you did because your son spent all, the, all, all your money on prostitutes. Woo, where did he get prostitutes from? That's not in there. There's no mention of that. But he imagines this whole thing, this wild living, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we do the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? We do it because of our view of who God is. And that is what ultimately Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to give us a better view, a correct view, of what God is actually like, instead of what we think God is like. Well, wait a second. I thought this was about repentance. Okay, let's talk about repentance. Let's talk about repentance. We have two lost sons, like I said, okay? So we would expect to see two repentances. How many repentances do we have? We only have one, okay? The second son, the older son, he does not repent. Um, but at least we have the younger son's repentance. That's a relief. So let's look at the younger son's repentance. What does he say? He says, uh, he says I know what I'll do. I will um, go to my father and I'll say, I have sinned against heaven and against him which is exactly what Pharaoh says, by the way, when he is repenting to Moses, when he has everybody in Egypt and the plagues are 
slamming against him over and over and over. And he, and he says, okay, 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 okay. I have sinned against heaven and against you. It's not genuine repentance for Pharaoh. It might not be for the younger son either. And then he says this. He says, he says, um, he says maybe I could be like a hired servant in my father's house. Well, who's, like, who's that like? A little bit later, we hear the older son say, I have been a hired servant for you in your house. Okay. So what is repentance? For the younger son, repentance is being like his older brother. That's repentance for him. And that's what the scribes and Pharisees want. The scribes and Pharisees want all the sinners to be just like them. To work really hard at holiness. To be perfect in every way. That's what they want. That's what they want those sinners to do. And that's why they're so furious with Jesus because he's not teaching them how to be like scribes and Pharisees. So we still don't have a great picture of repentance. If we don't have a great picture of repentance, what are these stories about? They're about God. Don't read the Bible thinking it's about you. If you do that, you're going to get into trouble. The Bible is about God. The shepherd is the God. The woman looking for the coin, that's God. And the father is God. We're here to get a picture of what God is like. The scribes and the Pharisees, they want to... Excuse me. Scribes and the Pharisees, they want to put at the center of everything repentance. And they want to say, it's all about how you repent. That's the most important thing. And Jesus says, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to put at the center of it who God is and what God is like. And what is God like? God is not someone who is interested in all the things we do wrong. God is not someone that we work very hard for. Here's what God is like. We, we, got, we got a really great opportunity this week to hear someone named Father Greg Boyle. Father Greg Boyle um, founded and currently runs the largest gang reentry re program in the world out in LA. He's been at it for decades. And uh, he's, he's like the best storyteller ever, okay? And if, you're, if you hear him before you have a sermon, no matter what your sermon is on, those stories fit in with your sermon. It's just, that's how good he is. Um, I've heard him tell this story before. It's one of my favorites, and it actually has nothing to do with his work. It has to do with his mom. So his mom passed away recently, in the last couple of years. And... Um, she had a pretty big family, so the family was all around her while she was dying. And she was going in and out of consciousness. She'd fall asleep, she'd wake up, and, and different family members were near, some were out doing something. It was several, several days, maybe two weeks ago. And, um, you know, she'd be asleep, and then every time she'd wake up, uh, she'd look at who was there, and she'd see their faces, and she'd say, You're here. You're here. And then maybe she'd go back to sleep or something like that. But then she'd wake up again and she'd see, like, her son. She'd see Greg or, or one of his siblings. And she'd look and say, you're here. With just nothing but the light. Nothing but the light. I think that's a good picture of God. Can you imagine? He's, he's got the father in the story of, this, of the two lost sons. He's, he's looking and, 
he sees he sees the son and he sees the young son sort of walking way down the road and he starts into the sprint to go get him and i always i always picture i, I mean i i know this is um marginalizing some of you but i always picture a football metaphor um, so I always picture like a linebacker going in for a sack. So the father is like racing to that son and just tackles him while the son's sort of rehearsing his speech, you know. Um, but I, but, I, but I, I think at some point he looks at the son and he just looks at his face and he cannot hear what the son is saying. The son, the son is trying to do his repentance. Please don't interrupt my repentance. And then the father just says, you're here. You're here. Um, it makes me think of uh, Stella's husband. Some of you remember Stella. Uh, almost none of you knew Smokey. Uh, we got a few people who knew Smokey. But um, Smokey at the end there, um, he was in the hospital and, and uh, you know, he cognitively he was a little bit in and out. But, and I remember lots of procedures. There's tons of procedures. And in and out of these procedures, he'd, he'd grab my hand or something or he'd look up at me. And he had this Ozark drawl, he's from West Virginia, and he'd look up and he'd say, Eddie, I love you. I love you. And he's like, we're, we're like, on, he's in the gurney or whatever, and he's going into the room, and there are doctors all around with their clipboards, you know, and everything's clean and white. And he's just saying it over and over and over again. Like, he will not stop saying that, I think, is a pretty good picture of what God is like. God just looking at us and saying, I love you. I love you. <laughs> Who is God? A shepherd leaving everything to bring us back. A woman turning her house upside down to find us. A father urging us into the house for a feast, whether we're the son who spent half of his money or the son who thinks he's just a servant on the, in, out in the field who can never come in because he has too much work to do. By the way, I think I'm going to have to do a sermon just on the older son. There's too much to say. There's just too much to say about him. There is a question here, which is going to be another, I think, another sermon. So now I think we're up at three. Um, of how, how God saves, but it, I think that's a different one. But, but we, we still, for, our, for this sermon, we're, we're, we're focusing on who God is, and, then, and if that's who God is, who are we? We're not people who God is constantly watching with a ledger to see what we're doing and writing down whether we've done it right or not. Okay? Um, because at the center is not our sin. That's not what the center is. We're not people who ask too much of God. When the younger son asks for his inheritance, the problem wasn't that he asked too much. It was that he settled for too little. It wasn't that he asked too much, it was that he settled for far too little. He left abundance to go to scarcity. And what is repentance? Repentance is us turning back to get more and more and more and more and more. Ultimately, that is what repentance is. Help us to hear you saying, 
delighted you are that we're here. But we finally come in for the feast, reluctantly, and um, on my prayer, my prayer is that um, you'd keep us coming to the feast. Let us not be far away. Let us always keep coming home to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.